Y'all are finishing a series of encounters with Jesus, and we're going to finish with this encounter with Thomas. And what we'll see is that Jesus is going to meet doubting Thomas. He's going to meet him in his doubts with his wounds. I want to thank Danny Hyman and Jordan Griesbeck, a couple of my friends who helped me think through this. And before we read the text, um, I want to share the story. There was a friend of mine who was a little bit older and went to a Leonard Skinner concert. Uh, some of my college students didn't know who that was. And uh, during this concert, there's this guy in the row next to him uh, with a little bit of a beer gut uh, and a mullet, and he just keeps screaming, Freebird. <laughs> Play Freebird. Like, that's all he wanted. And then uh, at the end of the concert, actually went back to get refreshments. And as he did that, of course, Leonard Skinner played Freebird. And so as that happened, he comes back with beer and nachos. And my friend just loves thinking about what kind of conversation did he have with his buddies. Like, hey, what, what song did I miss when, when I left? And they're like, you missed Freebird, man. <laughs> you missed the whole song that you desperately wanted. And I say that because Thomas is gone on Easter night. Jesus rises from the dead that night. He's gone. It says in the passage, right before the passage we're going to read, all the disciples are there except Thomas. And you can imagine that a week later on Sunday, Thomas shows up with beer and nachos. And it's like, hey, what did I miss? And they're like, you missed Jesus. <laughs> you missed the whole, the whole reason that we exist. <laughs> you missed him. So as I read the text, um, and please stand as I do so, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why wasn't Thomas there that first week? Everyone else was. Why wasn't Thomas? Hear now the good news of a God who's going to meet you in your doubts. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, which they counted that day and then seven days from there. So it basically means one week. One week later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. It's good, true, and beautiful and given to you in love. The gospel of our Lord. You can be uh, seated. And let, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this passage as a reminder to us that you don't shame people in their doubts, but you meet us uh, in our doubts. And I pray that for every heart and mind that is here this morning, with their anxieties and fears and doubts, that you would meet them. And they might hear you speak to them from your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now look, many of us, if you grew up in the church, uh, have heard of Doubting Thomas. It's where we get it from this phrase. And it's usually negative connotation. But what's interesting is that if you read Matthew 28, as Jesus ascends into heaven, it says the disciples worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. So it's not just Thomas doubting, there, there seems to be others. And then in Jude, uh, it's a New Testament book right before Revelation, in verse 24, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. But still, uh, most of the time growing up in a 
the church, he's Goliath. He's Judas. He's King Saul. Like, don't be doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rep. And the tradition I grew up in the church, um, if you doubted, it means you lacked faith. Now, one of the reasons that this happened is that there's a Danish painter named Karl Bloch. And basically, for years, for over 100 years, in American printed children's Bibles, his painting was in the children's Bibles. And one of the things you notice when you look at this painting is that Jesus was not born in the Middle East. He was tall and pale, so he must have been born in Sweden or Nebraska, okay? He's tall, and he towers over Thomas, and he looks down on him, and he shows him his scars with vindication and critique. Thomas in the painting is cast down and alone in the darkness, and none of the disciples come near him. They're cowering in the corner. And the message is clear to the children. (laughs) Don't doubt. Jesus will be mad at you. That's a bad thing to do. But of course, Carl, Carl Block was wrong. And we're wrong if we think that because Jesus doesn't criticize but consoles Thomas. And he doesn't treat him with indignation but with an invitation that Jesus offers his wounds for you in your doubts. So this morning, we all come carrying hopes and dreams, excitement, anxiety, fears. And many of us have doubts about Christianity, about ourselves, about Jesus, about the world. And what is Christianity, and maybe more importantly, what does Jesus have to say to you and to me in our doubts? So we're going to talk about two things. And the first is, what does Thomas teach us about doubt? And the second is, what does Jesus offer us in our doubts? So first, what does Thomas teach us in our doubt? And the first thing he teaches us is to be honest about our doubts. If you notice in verses 24 and 25, now Thomas called the twin was not with them, and so the other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. And instead of going, oh, okay, cool, he goes, no, no. <laughs> Unless I see the hands and place my hand inside, I'll never believe. He's like, oh, he appeared to you, prove it. Tell him to appear to me. There's no way you've seen the Lord. And look, he was just being honest about his doubts. Um, First century Christians knew that people didn't just rise from the dead. Have you ever prepared a body for burial? They did all the time. Have you ever seen an execution? They did all the time. Like they were very acquainted with death. They knew that dead people didn't just come back from the dead. And I think Thomas is actually being pretty reasonable here. In fact, he even wants to see God (laughs) and isn't seeing God the whole point of human existence. Now we see things in a glass darkly, but, but then face to face. And so he encourages us to be honest about our doubts. Because you can imagine if Thomas showed up and said, oh, okay, great. And he never shared his doubts. All the rest of his disciples would be martyred, but he would bide his time and slowly drift away, start selling insurance in a middle-class life in Galilee. I've had so many friends who have said that they're no longer Christians, and you know what? They had doubts, and they never told me. I never knew. Be honest about your doubts. Jesus has heard of them, and he is not afraid of them. That's the first thing we learned from Thomas. But Thomas also teaches us to seek the real Jesus, Seek the real Jesus. And here's what I mean. He was pretty specific about the wounds, wasn't he? The spear, he he saw Jesus die. Like he saw the spear in his side. He saw the nails go into his hands. He saw the crown placed on his head. Thomas didn't want a fake body or an impersonation. He wanted the real Jesus. Um, This semester, uh, I watched a show called Stranger Things. I don't know if you've heard of it. But uh, basically, not trying to give too much away, uh, there are these bad guys who are trying to keep this secret of the underworld 
and the upside-down world and the Demogorgon away from the public. But that, that's neither here nor there. There is an 11-year-old boy who goes missing named Will Byers. And so these bad guys try to cover it up by creating a fake dead body. And they put this dead body in the morgue. And the mom shows up. And the mom looks at him and she goes, that's not my son. I don't know what that thing is, but that's not my son. Now, why does she know that? Because she spent her whole life with him. She knew everything about her son. She could tell between a fake and a real Jesus or a fake and a real Will Byers, her son. Thomas has left everything and spent three years with this man. He's looking for the real Jesus. He doesn't want a fake one. And I think in America, there's a lot of fake Jesuses that are easy for us to pursue, right? There's the political Jesus, that Jesus is only associated with one political party and anyone who is not in that party isn't a Christian. There's the wealthy influencer Jesus. Do these 10 steps become the better you and God will give you what you want? There's the teacher guru Jesus. Like everyone else is wrong and only I know the right way. So come into my uh, community. Sometimes that turns into a cult. There's the nice guy Jesus, right? Love, let's just love one another and be a better person. And that's great. I mean, but then we already have that with MOK and Gandhi and Mother Teresa. We don't need Jesus. He doesn't offer us anything different. There's the angry yell at people on the sidewalk, Jesus. And of course, my favorite, which this is a temptation for me, the therapy Jesus, right? Whose only job is to comfort us and make us the best version of our Enneagram number. But look, of course, you know this Jesus is not just a therapist. He's, as Thomas is going to say, he's our Lord and God. And as you have doubts, uh, Thomas encourages you to make your doubts on the real Jesus, not a fake Jesus. Don't let others define who he is. Let him define who he is in the Bible and see for yourself that he's your Lord and God who came to give you life, that he took on flesh and lived a life of love and obedience. He died for your sins and rose again three days later. He ascended into heaven and right now with a physical body with wounds in it is praying for you and one day will come back and make all things new. That he's the king of the world and all things exist by him, for him, and through him. And every created thing owes its allegiance to him. And as Philippians 2 says, we will all bow our knee and confess like Thomas that Jesus is our Lord and God. That's, that's who Jesus is. That's the real Jesus. And so if you're gonna doubt, make sure Thomas says you're doubting the real Jesus and not a fake Jesus. And then third, Thomas teaches us that there's often pain or hurt behind our doubts. There's often pain or hurt. I think it's pretty fascinating that Thomas could have just gone, well, okay, like how did he show up? What was he like? What, did, what was he wearing? But instead he makes this adamant claim, unless I see his hands, I, I will never believe. It's pretty firm there. He demands it. It seems like there might be some more stuff behind his doubts. And if you, if you reimagine Thomas's life, he uprooted his life. And he believed in Jesus, and maybe he left a family business. Maybe he left a fiancé. Maybe he gave up a quiet life with two kids and a mortgage to follow Jesus. And things seem to be going well for three years. There's some, like, threats and persecution. But, like, they seem, like, Jesus seems to be doing it. And, in fact, in John 11, it says Thomas was willing to die for Jesus. And then in one week, we go from a triumphal entry to a cross and to a tomb. Why, why do you think Thomas wasn't there that first resurrection morning? He felt betrayed. Jesus lied to him. He wasn't the king. He was like every other fairy tale he had heard. Growing up, you, there was 30 Jewish men who claimed to be messiahs. 
And every one of them died at the hands of the Greeks or the Romans. And Jesus was no different. No kingdom was established. Jesus was the same and he broke his heart. And his friends had the audacity to tell him that Jesus had risen from the dead. Get out of here. So instead of showing up to church, he went on a binge drinking or he played video games or he watched Netflix because the world was full of wounds and lies and betrayal. And now I think we know why Thomas doubted. He was, he was wounded. And that's why often we doubt the love of a spouse or a friend. It's because we've been wounded. We're all wounded and that's why we doubt. I, um, I had a friend who told me this story in high school. Get ready for this. Where he finally got the courage up to ask a girl out on a date. And he had never done that before, never dated. And so he went to her and said, do you want to go out with me? And she looked at him and goes, ew, gross. Isn't that awful? I've already killed her, so it's fine. Like we've, I'm just kidding. But um, now, do you think my friend ever wanted to open himself up again? Of course not. And many of you might be like this, where maybe a spouse said something years ago about your family or your personality or something, and it still hurts, even though they've apologized and you've moved on, but it bubbles up every now and then. And you doubt their love. Or maybe you got married and the in-laws had shared before you got married that they didn't really want you in the family. They, didn't, they doubted that y'all should get married. Or your parents seem to favor a different child, like, and you feel you're never good enough. Or you've been wounded by friends who say they'll be there for you, but they never show up. And eventually what happens is that these wounds develop a narrative that you have, that no one can love me, or no one likes me, or you can't trust people. You are gross. You are too much. Maybe I am never good enough. Maybe they don't want me in their family. And then when someone comes along, it's like, no, 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 like I like you. I like being with you. You doubt. You doubt them and you're like, no, I need more evidence. I need more proof, right? And you self-sabotage the relationship because you're acting out of your wounds. Your wounds have made you doubt. And look, I've had friends leave the faith, as I said, and what I realized is, Behind every intellectual reason for doubting the faith, there's almost always a personal wound attached to it. A church who judged them, Christian friends who abandoned them, an incident of acute or chronic suffering. And I want to encourage you, and Thomas does, that as you wrestle with your doubts and your relationship with God and with others, what wounds are there? What narrative are you believing? Because as Thomas is honest and seeks the real Jesus, and we realize there's doubts and wounds, um, Jesus meets him in his doubts and he offers Thomas stuff in his doubts. He offers him a few things. And this is point two. Because you would think that he's angry or annoyed. He could have just, Jesus could have just told the disciples, hey, Thomas, I died for you. I don't know. You skipped church last Sunday because you were lazy or drunk or whatever. Um, And now you're questioning my love for you. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And the angry Jesus from Karl Block's painting comes back out. And Jesus becomes very pale and tall again. But no, notice what Jesus offers people who earnestly doubt. He pursues them. If you even notice in verse 26, it says the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and offers peace, which means there's no amount of anxiety or past mistakes or pressing doubts or intellectual queries or haunting wounds that will stop Jesus from offering you his peace in his presence. And here are a few things that Jesus offers you if you're doubting this morning. The first thing Jesus offers you is his body, his body. If you notice in verse 27, he looks at Thomas and says, put, put your finger here. You see my hands? Put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Jesus is offering Thomas his physical body. And in fact, uh, in Luke's account, they were so freaked out by Jesus, they thought he was a ghost, that Jesus was like, okay, give me some fish and I'll eat some fish for you. And it's really kind of an aside, but I think it's really important is that Thomas demands a physical Jesus. Jesus still has a body. And if Corona has taught us anything, it's the importance of the physical. Hugging is much better than being six feet away. Dapping it up with my college bros is a lot better than giving them air knocks, you know? Loneliness and anxiety and digital fatigue has taught us that we are embodied creatures. And what Jesus' physical body shows us is that God is committed to everything he's made. Look, if Jesus just made the physical world and then says, don't worry, you're gonna die and get rid of your physical body, then what's the point? (laughs) God doesn't care about clean water. He doesn't care about homelessness. He doesn't care about COVID. He doesn't care about the election. He doesn't care about the physical world. But Jesus' physical body reminds us in hope that our body will one day be like his and his offering us a physical resurrected body is that he affirms his desire to redeem and renew this physical world. But secondly, Jesus also offers us his wounds. Um, Thomas wants to put his hand in the side and his fingers in the holes. And he's like, I saw him die and it tore me apart. And Jesus gives him exactly what he wanted in verse 27. And you can see the narrative slow down. And it's like every disciple kind of becomes blurry. And it's just Jesus looking at Thomas's eyes. And it's just them. And Thomas is there. And Jesus goes, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus meets Thomas at every point of his disbelief. And he looks at Thomas and offers him his wounds. And look, y'all, this is intimate stuff. I don't know if you have any scars or have any wounds. Not only would I never be asked back here, but I'm not gonna ask you to touch them, okay? (laughs) Not only because I won't be asked back here, but also because to touch someone's scars is an intimate and vulnerable thing. My scars carry stories. They carry pain. And Jesus is saying to Thomas as he offers him his wounds, look, Thomas, don't you see? I've carried your pain. I've carried your tears. I've carried your story and your sin in my body on the cross. Don't disbelieve, believe. Because when you doubt what you want is someone to prove it. Show me that you actually love me. Show me that you care about me. And that's why Jesus offers his wounds. Back to Stranger Things, um, yeah, I went through a weird uh, phase. Was it healthy? No, but in the semester, I watched all the Stranger Things in a week and a half. So now we have, two, uh, we have two illustrations this morning. But there's, in the Stranger Things, there's the veil of shadows and the upside down world. And so there's the seen world, but then there's this unseen world where the Demogorgon and evil and pain live. And uh, every time the Demogorgon, the evil forces want to come into the real world and like destroy these boys, these main character boys, there's this girl named Elle or Eleven. And she does like mind control stuff and she like dominates evil forces. But every time she does it, blood comes out of her nose. And what you realize is she's wounding herself in order to save them. That every time they can, those boys can look to Elle's blood on her face and be like, oh, she has saved us. She loves us. She cares about us. You see, the glorified resurrected body of Jesus, which I think this is amazing if you think about it. If you had a glorified perfect body, would you keep your wounds? Wouldn't you get rid of that imperfection? Jesus keeps it. Why? Because forever when you doubt, 
forever, for all eternity, you can look to the wounds in his body. It's a window into the love of God that he died for you because he loves you. And in some mysterious way, Jesus carries your wounds with him. And it's a mystery. And these wounds that Jesus offers Thomas is an invitation for Thomas and for you and me to not avoid our doubts, but to investigate our doubts, to be curious about them, to not be afraid, but to face them. This quote was in your handout, but Tim Keller says this. Faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe, as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. And here's what Tim Keller is saying. Look, if you have doubts about miracles or the supernatural world, or the ethics of the conquest of Canaan, or the Bible's sexual ethics, or some of the laws of Moses and Leviticus, or you're longing for more evidence of Israel and ancient manuscripts, or how can there be a good God in a suffering world? What Tim Keller's saying, don't ignore them. <laughs> By facing them, it actually helps you build antibodies in your faith to make it through when there are more intense periods of doubt. And then thirdly, Jesus offers not just his body, in his wounds, but he offers an invitation to believe, even, even as you doubt. In verse 28 and 29, after Thomas sees the wounds of Jesus, he goes, my Lord and my God. It is the strongest confession of, of Jesus in the gospels. And Jesus says to him, don't disbelieve, but believe. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says this. Many of us, when we think about what does it mean to believe in God, we think it's like an intellectual question. Like, do you believe in UFOs? Do you believe in Santa Claus? The butterfly effect, <laughs> right? Do we land on the moon? It's like God is a conspiracy theory. It's a question that is purely cognitive. That doesn't actually change your life. But see, to believe in the Bible and in John is not just whether God exists, but whether he is trustworthy. That to believe in God is not intellectual, but it's relational. Will you confess that he's your Lord and God? Because in other words, to believe in God is not simply intellectually assenting to this possibility that an all-powerful, benevolent being created the world and you're here, but it's to trust him with your life, with your doubts and anxieties and your shattered dreams. That Jesus goes, look, do you see my scars and wounds? They, they were for you. And the way you can imagine this is imagine you're at Neyland Stadium where football is played, sometimes better, sometimes worse, you know, whatever. And um, at Neyland Stadium, imagine there's a tightrope walker all the way across Neyland Stadium, and there's a guy up there, and he's asking all of us, hey, do you think I can go across? And we all have masks on because we're socially conscious, and we're like, yes, and we're muffled, you know, we say yes. And he gets up there, and he does it, and everyone cheers, and they're muffled masks. And then he gets a wheelbarrow, and he's like, do you think I can go across with a wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yeah, you can do it. You're the man, you know? And, uh, and he goes, okay, I need one of y'all to come up here and get in. <laughs> and no one, no one, of course, gets in. Because why? Because before they cognitively assented to it. But when he asks them to get in the wheelbarrow, it means, do you trust me with your life? And here's, here's the point. Are you willing to trust Jesus when it's your high school senior year and all of your sports have been canceled because of COVID? Or when your friend or your spouse gets cancer unexpectedly and there's just suffering and pain. 
when you can't get over an addiction, when you feel like your marriage is just falling apart, or you have a strained relationship with your kids, or you lost your job during a pandemic, or when your body develops allergies and you can't eat hardly any food anymore, are you still willing to trust Jesus and follow him? Even, even as you doubt. That's the invitation from Jesus because he's inviting you to bring your doubts to him, to the body and wounds of Jesus, and to trust him. Because his wounds reveal his love for you and his body reveals he cares about your world. So what does this mean for us? And we'll close with a story. Uh, if you're a non-Christian here, um, you're our honored guest. <laughs> You don't have to believe to be here. In fact, we even saw that in the baptism, that sweet Claire belongs before she believes. And so we encourage you to ask questions in doubt because the church is going to take your doubts seriously because Jesus takes them seriously. If you're a Christian here and you're like, I didn't really resonate with any of this, okay? Especially the Stranger Things thing. Um, because I don't really have any doubts. Praise the Lord for that. You don't need to feel ashamed of that. That's a gift, in fact, 1 Corinthians 12 says faith is a gift. And so if you don't have any doubts, those of us who do doubt need your faith. That's a blessing to the church. And if you are a Christian here and you're like, no, I do doubt. I wanna encourage you that as Thomas doubted on a Sunday at church in a community, that don't doubt alone. Doubt in a community. Go to church because the way, if you notice in verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about us. And that the way that Jesus reveals himself is through the church and through the elements of the Lord's Supper. So don't doubt alone. Doubt in a community because Jesus offers his wounds for us in our doubts. So we've seen that Thomas teaches us our doubts, to be honest, to seek the real Jesus, to reveal the hurt and pain behind our doubts. And that Jesus offers us in our doubts his body, his wounds, and an invitation to trust him. Now, there's another painter, uh, Karl Bloch. It was a 19th century Danish one. But there's another painting by a guy, an Italian painter named Caravaggio from the 17th century. And at this painting, if you look at Jesus, he doesn't tower over Thomas in shame, but he stoops down to get on Thomas's level, inviting him to touch his wounds. And he actually grabs his hand like a, like a pregnant mom who takes a toddler's hand and gently rubs his hand over her belly so they can feel the kicks of the new life inside of her. So Jesus is gently inviting Thomas to touch his scars. And he brings him to his side and he looks at him in his eyes. And Jesus is not stern and vindictive, but in this painting, he's comforting and kind. And Thomas almost doesn't even look like a man anymore. He looks like a child, <laughs> like a child who looks out of the window and sees snow fall for the first time is how Thomas looks. Excitement and joy. And the disciples aren't hiding from Thomas. They're actually leaning in with him. And they're like, what's going to happen? Now, which painting tells us more what Jesus is like in our passage, right? Karl Bloch or Caravaggio? Almost every night, I finish with this. Uh, I have young kids, of course, and so I do this ritual. It'll probably change as they get older. And now that I have four of them, I usually only do one a night, so don't judge me. But here's the ritual. I'm like, do you know who you are? You know, my five-year-old Peter's like, I'm Peter, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you're my, you're my son, Peter. And I'm like, do you know who I am? And he's like, your daddy. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, I'm your dad. Do you know that I love you? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, do you know why I love you? Because you're my son. 
And I will always be your daddy and you will always be my son and I will always love you no matter what. Now, do you know why I do that ritual? Because they're eventually gonna grow up and doubt that I love them. And I want them to know that I will go through locked doors to be with them. That's how much I love them. How much more God, our Father, who sends Jesus through locked doors with his wounds to offer you his peace and his presence in the midst of your doubts. Don't disbelieve, Jesus says, but believe even as you doubt. Here are my wounds. Let me, let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, as we finish through the Gospel of John this wonderful encounter with a man who's been hurt and wounded, like all of us, who has doubts, dreams, and anxieties that didn't come to fruition. And he's wondering, he's wondering where you are. And Jesus, you show up and you offer him your wounds. So I pray, uh, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we go out into the world to bless the world, we might be reminded that even as we doubt, you love us, and even now, your wounds in heaven, in a physical body, remind us of that. In Christ's name I pray, amen.